chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we continue to look at body life together. And uh, again, the state conference is Monday and Tuesday, and uh, Marty Hansen, I think is his last name, is speaking on the, what is, why is membership and why, what is membership and why is it important in the body of Christ? Um, if you, on, uh, tomorrow night, if you're interested, we'd love to have you come to that. He wanted to conduct. He was a composer. He had popular numbers that people enjoyed listening to, but he wanted to conduct. His conducting style, however, was idiosyncratic. He was, during soft passages, he'd crouch extremely low. And for loud sections, he'd often leap into the air, even shouting at the orchestra. His memory was poor, too. Once he forgot that he instructed the orchestra not to repeat a section, and then during the performance, when he, got, when he went back to repeat the section, during the performance, they went forward. So he stopped the piece saying, that's, no, we're going to do it again, <laughs> during the performance. For his own piano concerts, he tried conducting from the piano. At one point, he jumped from the bench, jumping, bumping the candles off of the piano. At another concert, he knocked over a choir boy. During one long, delicate passage, he jumped high to, a, to cue a loud entrance, but nothing happened because he had lost count and signaled the orchestra too soon. Finally, the musicians pled with him to go home and give up conducting, which he did. He was Ludwig von Beethoven, right? As a man whom many consider to be the greatest composer of all time, no one is a genius of all trades, right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're looking at body life from the perspective of how does the body work together? What's going on in the body? And one of the big things that Paul wants to get across in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 is that you can have confidence in what God is doing in the body, that there's grace that's happening in the body, that you can be confident that God is working in that body, and therefore we should care for one another and honor one another in that confidence that grace is at work. And so I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice what it says here about grace and sharing grace in the body, because the emphasis is not, again, on what we are doing as much as the emphasis is on what God is doing. What is the grace of God operating in the body together? And so, if you will, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he, he says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So he's saying there's, there's things that, that they just don't understand about what's going on. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, the, so the first thing he's saying here is, that, and you've got to put this in context again, they were used to, in Corinth, evidently, going to, there's plenty of temples, just like in other Greek cities at the time, they would go to the temple to worship, and in the worship of other gods, it was often ecstatic, that is, you were trying to drum up some experience, you were trying to experience something great and awesome that you could, in a sense, write home about, and or something mystical and mysterious that, that just kind of transported you outside of yourself, but you couldn't understand what it was. 
And notice what he says here. He says that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. He's saying they didn't really speak. There was no content to what they got across. It was just an experience. And we've all had experiences like that, right? Where you have an experience, and you're like, well, that was kind of cool. What did it mean? I'm not really sure. <laughs> of course, some of those experiences we have, we're like, and I want to forget that experience. <laughs> you know? I don't know what it means, and I don't really want to figure it out. Um, here, Paul is saying that one of the biggest things you can realize about how the, the grace of God works within the body is that we have the grace of revelation. We have the grace of revelation, that the Spirit, when it speaks, is not just giving you an experience, but instead that it is, it is working to, to, to give content to, to tell you something that is true. And here he summarizes it in a sense by saying, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Now, can someone you know, flippantly say the opposite in a sense, Jesus is Lord and not be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Sure, but we're not, again, we're not talking about just some, something someone says, but again, what someone is trying to get across in their seriousness, in, the, in their experience, in their, in their sense of this is true and right. There's content behind that. And the, the basic content behind that is that Jesus is Lord. That he came, that he died, that he rose again, that he is Lord of all. And that this this is so important to us, right? If, if you think back here again, it says, um, if that is true, then, then we have this content that we can trust in, that we can believe in as believers. Like, but this, there's something within the body where, where there's, there's truth that we, can, that we can hold on to. It's not just that we come to church and we have an experience, but that we're, we're seeking to understand truth and to hold on to truth. And that's part of what God is doing in the body. It's not something that we have to manufacture. It's not like the disciples, after Jesus' death, got together and they're like, okay, Jesus is gone. What kind of religion should we start here? Because obviously Jesus was starting a religion and he just never got to finish it. No, this is something that God did from beginning to end. And he is in the process of keeping it going, and he's the one who reveals and speaks within the body. And he's the one ultimately who gave us, as we know, the full revelation of God that we can trust, that we can, that we can believe in, that we can cling to, that we can trust in, right? Like, without this, this is, the word of God is, is our sole and sufficient rule for faith and practice. We can have the content we need right here to know what God thinks, who God is, and what he's doing in the world. And that's a grace to us, Right? Think of, think even of your own kind of questions and, and concerns that you have. Sometimes people get concerned, am I saved or not? Is, how do I know that God has saved me? Well, think, think of John chapter 27, right? John chapter 10, verse 27, where it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. What is, what is Jesus saying? He's giving content, and the Spirit has reminded the, John to write this down for us. We have this content now that, what? that 
when, when you're in Christ's hand, that nothing can snatch you out of his hand. There's no enemy that can do that. And not even that, but that the, the Father has, you, has it wrapped around his hand around you too. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. The point is that in, in the conception here is either you're, you're controlled by the devil or you're controlled by God and a part of his family, and, and God doesn't lose the ones that are part of his family. And you say, well, what about believers who like, claim to be believers and then they walk away from the faith? Well, from a human perspective, in that sense, people can, quote-unquote, lose their salvation in the sense that, that they, they can walk away from the faith on their own. But in the sense that, that those believers who are his are his, you can never lose your salvation, right? Because God is the one who has accomplished that. He doesn't, he doesn't quit. There's not like there's a third category of people that are like, well, there's people who the devil controls and there's people in a sense who God has rescued and then there's these third group of people that, that are just out there, they control themselves. No, there's not that third group of people. You're either rescued or you're, you're under the sway and control of sin, the devil, and the world. Those are the two categories you're in. And that's because of, why do we have that? Because of the grace of revelation. We can realize what God thinks about this and how God operates and what he does. And if that's true, then what can we, what can we rest in? We can rest in the fact that in the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit is working to reveal his truth to us. We have that primarily through the word of God. It also comes as we listen to one another and as we, as, as we share in the Word of God together. Someone might take a truth from the Word of God and share it with us, and we're like, oh yeah, that's, so, that's helpful for me right now. Right? We're sharing that truth together because we have revelation that we can share. Not only that, but we have the grace of common good. We have the grace of common good. Notice chapter 12, verse 4. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but, the same, but it's the same God who empowers all in everyone. And to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, this, this is kind of a key point here. And it's not, it, it seems like it's in some ways like, okay, what's the big deal but the, the deal here is that, and he, he spends actually all of chapter 14 even developing this further, the idea that, that, again, they were used to worship of God, the gods, in a sense, as being either ta- entertainment or mystical or power displays. And it was all about, uh, about how you did, did what God wanted, the gods wanted you to do in order to get some response, response back from, that, from the gods. And so it was transactional. It was like, well, I show up to worship, and, 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 I, and I have this experience, and uh, somehow then I, I can manipulate the gods because I sacrificed, or I did this, or I did that. But God works out of grace, not transaction. He's giving to us freely out of grace. And the, the, the point here that Paul wants to make, and he is going to repeat it in chapter 14, is that the Spirit works for the common good. It's that, that, that you're given a gift, in that sense, for the blessing of others, not so much for the blessing of yourself. And he lists off here, he says, For to one is given through the, the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to other the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another working of miracles, 
to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretations of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Here we have, he's, he's saying, the Spirit works individually through each one of us in a sense, and he lists off a lot that are in some ways, um, most of these are um, supernatural type of giftings. Um, you read other lists of gifts and they're not as supernatural. I think the point by listing all the supernatural gifts is, is to say the point of, of the supernatural gifts is not for power. Like, look, look, God's so powerful. We already know God's powerful. He rose Jesus. He raised Jesus from the grave, right? The point is, is that the, the gifts are given for the benefit of the body. And we, we need to recognize that. And, and what the, part of the point here is just that we struggle, Right? We struggle with this because our basic fear a lot of times as Christians, even though we know God loves us, is does God really love me, right? And, and I'm, am I really useful here? You know, like maybe I'm the second class citizen that, that God kind of let in the back door because, you know, he had to or he felt sorry for me. Or, uh, but there, I'm not any real use to him, you know. It's like the, the guys who are picked on the team, you know, how they, you know, when you pick teams as kids, right? And, and it, you know, at least I, I find with girls sometimes, coaching girls, like, they don't necessarily pick, like, who's going to help me win. They just pick, oh, who are my friends, right? You know. <laughs> but, but the competitive ones will say, well, who's going to help me win? And, and, and they go for the ones they think will help them win, and then you get down toward the end, and the ones who, well, these probably won't help me win or not, then, okay, whoever, just divide them up, and it's okay, let's move on, right? That's, that's what happens. We, we understand this. Um, and, and I think sometimes as Christians, we think the same thing. Well, God chose, chose people, and they, he picked all the winners, and then he got around to, well, I got to pick a few more to get, you know, because I got to have a certain number for heaven or something like that. And, and then he, 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 he picked me too, and I'm kind of in, in the group, but I'm not that important, and the point here he's making is, no, that's the exact opposite of the way you should think. God chose you because you can benefit the, the body. You, he's going to gift you because he wants you to benefit the body. You are a part, an intricate and important part of the whole. And God is empowering you and it, to everyone who is a believer, because he emphasizes here, this here at the end, right? Chapter, verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Can you imagine being back in the original New Testament church where slavery was, was not abolished yet, right? And you'd have slaves and free people in the same body of Christ together, joining together. Now, the slaves in some ways might be thinking, well, you know, I'm not free, I'm not valuable at all. But in the body of Christ, he's saying, look, we're all one body. We're all part of this together. You're part of this for the common good. You're just as important as the free person to the body of Christ. And, and that, that idea right there, Christians use to say, hey, we need to stop slavery, right? Because this is wrong. But, and so... It, this is actually one of the hardest things, I think, for, for Christians to really believe and understand. 
that actually I can benefit the body. That, that, that what I've gone through or who I am or what I see can be of benefit to the body. And he's going to take some time to do that. But let me give you just an illustration of what he's saying here. Because you need courage in this to not be passive. Think of, think of a Thanksgiving table. And let's say you're, I don't know, you're 21. You're not kind of on your own, but you're in college. You're at college o- away from home. And you're coming home for Thanksgiving. And your mom says to you, I need you to provide something for the Thanksgiving table. And you're like, what? You know, like, what do you mean? Like, I'm supposed to provide something. Like, no, no, I'm a kid, right? I I don't provide something to the table. I just come and I enjoy the table, right? And and your your mom's like, no, 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 no. I I want you to provide something to the table. And and you're like, well, what? And 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 she's like, well, what would you like to bring to the table? And 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 again, you're like, but there's there's nothing good I can contribute. And your mom's like, nope, 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 that's not, I don't want that attitude here. <laughs> you, know? you must provide something. You can provide whatever you want, but you need to provide something. And, and when you, so you pick something, whatever it is, I think I would probably have picked Jello or something like that, you know. Um, and, and I make Jello, bring it to the table. And, and at the Thanksgiving table, what do you do? Well, everybody's just like, we're at a feast, right? Like, even if it's jello, like, oh, jello's good. I'll take a little jello, right? Why? Because when you're at a feast, it's not, about, it's, it's not about being gourmet, right? It's not about saying, well, let's judge every dish and see how it goes. It's about saying, let's enjoy the richness of what we have, right? And again, we're called as Christians to understand, and that's what he's saying. I don't want you to be uninformed here that the Spirit has empowered each one of us, because we're each in the body of Christ, to be involved in blessing the body, to bringing something to the table. You don't grow out of this growing old. You don't, you don't, you don't grow into this being young, but we're all in this together. And James chapter uh, 3, I was talking in our discipleship group about this once again, and I was reminded it applies here as well. Um, Again, this idea is key. James chapter 3 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. For this is not wisdom that comes from down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, in a harvest of righteousness and sown in peace by those who make peace." Now, in chapter 14, he's going to go into more detail about, hey, let's seek the gifts that edify one another. But the point is, is that all of them edify in some way. And the question is, is like when you start off on something, do, do you say to yourself, well, I've got to be the best ever at this before I can get involved? Or do you say, and which is kind of what he's saying here, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. You're just realizing, I'm just going to take what I have 
And if it means I make jello for the Thanksgiving table, I'll make jello. If it means I can make, if I can roast the turkey, if I, I can spatchcock it and, and cook it in a, in a smoker and bring that to the kitchen table, which now I can do now that I'm 49, you know, I could learn a few skills in 20 years, um, then, then I bring that to the table, right? And, and it's just saying, what, what has God given me? How can I work and how can I serve? And, and realizing that in some ways it's not, again, Sometimes we wonder, and I'll say this repeatedly, like, okay, what's my gift then? What am I supposed to bring to the table? It's not so much about worrying about that. It's just realizing you have something. Why worry about what it is? Just think about the body and what you can bring. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, he's going to say, hey, like, don't sit here thinking so much about what your gift is. I'm going to show you a better way of thinking about it. Just think in love, right? How do I love others? And, and James here is saying the same kind of thing. He's saying, hey, bring, bring wisdom to the table, sow seeds of peace, and see the harvest of righteousness that comes to fruition. So, and I could go on on that, because he does in chapter 14, but we're going to move on to the grace of diversity, the grace of diversity in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, does that make it any less a part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that does not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. God gifts us with a variety of gifts. And in a sense, what he's saying here is, don't look for people who are like yourself, right? I, I know when we talk about friendships overall, we, we, we look for people who, we en, who enjoy doing the same things as us, and there's a place for that. There is. It's, it's good to have friendships where you can enjoy doing the same things together and enjoy that process. But here in the body of Christ, it's more like a family. Because in my family, do I want more tads? Not really, okay? <laughs> One tad is enough. Do I want more Annalisa's? No, one's enough, right? Why? Because in the body, in the family, one is good enough. Why? Because, and then when you get a Zeke or an Ella or a Kaisa, all of a sudden the richness just multiplies, right? Like if we were all Tad's, like that would be fun. I mean, because Tad has a lot of fun. I'm just picking on Tad this morning. Tad, Tad is a lot of fun, but... but there's a richness that comes from being a part of a family where you're like, okay, you know, you're different, but we enjoy the differences, right? In a, in a family, that's the way it works. You're not looking for everybody to be the same. And here, why do we then say in the body of Christ, well, everyone should look like this, or everyone should look like that? Paul's saying, no, why would you say that, right? Why should we all be eyes? Or why should we all be ears? Or why should we all be heads? Or whatever, you know, pick your body part here. He's saying, that doesn't make a body a body. A body is something where you enjoy the differences. You, 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 re you relish the, the richness that comes from those differences. 
part of the point here is that God does not require that each individual shall have capacity for everything. And therefore, don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. If you say, well, I can't teach, I can't get up in front of people, okay, great, awesome. That just means you're rich in other ways. Or if you say, well, I, I can't, whatever. I, no, don't focus on what you can't do, focus on what you can do. Why? Because you're part of the body. And there's just a richness that comes from acknowledging how God has made you. Now, what's interesting here is that there's just a lot of, um, you know, questions that come into play here. Do you sense needs in the body? Like, part of what happens here is that within the body of Christ, you're going to sense needs. Part of that then means that don't expect everyone else to sense the same needs. Does that make sense? Like, if you're an eye, you're going to see things differently than an ear hears them, correct? So you're going to see different needs. Don't expect everyone else to see those needs, but don't discount what you sense. God gave you that sense so that you could do something about it. That doesn't mean, again, that you have to do everything about it, but he usually gave you a sense of, the, of, some, of a need in the body in order that you can meet that need, right? God gives us ears to hear. Why? Well, partially to hear sirens in case we need to act on something, partially to hear beautiful music. Part, God gives us eyes. Why? To see danger, but also to see beauty, right? There's, there's both sides of these gifts that we have. And so you're going to see good things about the body, and you're going to see negative things about the body. And God wants you to use those to pass it on to the whole body in, in, in whatever sense that you can. Max Dupree had a young grandson who once locked himself in the bathroom. Nothing his mother could do could get him out. She called the police. They too were helpless. Next she tried the fire department, who came in full force with several trucks. I don't know why. They broke down the bathroom door with their axes. The boy's father got home when things were in uproar. He could not figure out why, when there was no smoke and no fire, his door, frame, his door and frame were in shambles because of firemen. He was still grousing about it the next day to a friend who passed on a sage observation. A fireman has two tools, an axe and a hose. If you want someone to pick a lock with a paperclip, try a locksmith or a cat burglar. If you call a fireman, you're either going to get the axe or the hose, right? Like, like we have different tools in our toolbox and, and different giftings that we have. And you have to realize that you, like sometimes you shouldn't bring your gifts to the table. Like if you have an axe and you're just trying to get down a, a bathroom door, probably not the best tool, right? But if you have a, you know, keys to pick a lock, great, awesome, do that. And what's interesting here is Paul mixes his metaphors so much here. Because he's, he's like, what are you talking about, Paul? Because you're talking about lists of gifts like tongues and healings and miracles and, and wisdom and knowledge. And then you talk about the body like, oh, so are we talking about people? <laughs> are we talking about activities of gifts? Are we talking about the experiences people have had in the past that give them certain abilities? And I think Paul's answer is, Yes, because I think by mixing his metaphors, he's not trying to get you to be specific. He's, get, he's trying to get you to be broad. He's trying to get you to think broadly about how the body operates. 
if we focus in too much and we say, well, this needs to happen, and we don't understand how the body works synergistically together, then we miss out. Because he goes on to say, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We have here the practice of honor. We need every part. We need every part, right? Because if God is working in the body and he's giving the grace of revelation and he's giving the grace of common good and he's giving the grace of diversity, then he's saying you need all the parts. It's not like you can be like, well, I don't need this part. <laughs> You're not that important to me. Like, really, like, no one in their right mind would say, oh, yeah, all I need is eyes. I don't need feet or hands, right? Like, no one would say that. But does the body sometimes say that to each other? Yes, right? Because we're like, well, you know, unless you can preach, then you're not that important. Or unless you can care for, care for widows, you're not that important. Or uh, unless, unless you can do ex- whatever task that you might name, you're not that important. And he's saying, no, don't think of it that way. We need every part. And he lists off a couple of things here. And again, this is where in some ways he's, he's mixing things together. Like when he talks about what's weak. And obviously you think, well, you know, there's probably a part of your body that you can name that's weak, right? Like some people say, yeah, my ankles are weak, or yeah, no, my arms are weak, or, you know, we we can name different parts of the body that we might think are weak, right? And we're like, well, uh, I don't use that as much, right? Like in in soccer, it's usually, like, you usually have a more dominant foot and and a weaker foot, in a sense, right? And as a coach, I'm always like, use your weak foot, right? Why? Because in a game, you need both. You just do. Now, you're going to be dominant on one, but you need to use both. But, but that's not the way he's using it here, I think. He's using it more like, don't you understand that some people, some people are weak? Like, even going back in 1 Corinthians, right, where he talks about those who are weak as, as people who couldn't eat idol, uh, meat offered to idols, and their conscience was, would not allow them to do that. Well, there's a temptation in the body to be like, well, you know what I mean? I have to limit myself for someone like that. Uh, I, I, I just would rather, you know, cut them out of the body. Like, you know, it's that important. And he's saying, no, those who are weak, like they have a certain kind of conscience, there's a certain kind of uh, lifestyle. And you want to you say, well, I don't, I don't want to be around them. I don't want to value them. And he's saying, no, you can't do that. You have to value people that are different from you. They're indispensable. Why? Because how are they indispensable? You're like, because I could get rid of this and I wouldn't have to worry about it. They're indispensable because it helps you realize and them, them realize that this is not about us. It's about God. There's something indispensable about having different consciences at play in the body of Christ because it helps you realize that this is about God. This is not about me and me picking my determination for what I like in the body. This is about what God is doing in the body. We need to honor even the weaker parts. 
say, man, it's awesome that you're seeking to honor God with your life. You know, there's also that idea of less honor. He said, those who have, are unpresentable and modest. I think another aspect of the body that's important here is the idea of suffering, right? As you go through life, you have various points of suffering that you have. God introduces those. You, you, none of us go, okay, yeah, I want that suffering in my life. None of us do that, right? God just introduces suffering in our lives. And when you have suffering, it changes you. It, it hopefully molds you to be more like Christ, but it's still a process. And it still can be this process that's very hard, and it can be isolating, it can be discouraging. And within the body of Christ, what should be happening is you should, you should like what he's saying here is in a sense, you, you provide a certain sense of modesty to it. You're not like, hey, you've got to air all the ways that you're suffering, you know. It's like, no, but you should have a few people in your life that are helping you process it and work through it. Why? Because as part of the body, you're saying this is valuable. There's going to fruit that's going to come from this. We don't know what it is yet, but we're, we're trusting God because his grace is at work even in this suffering. You know, I grew up in a time um, in the 90s when suffering was definitely shoved under the, under the rug, so to speak. Does that make sense? Like, you just, you just didn't bring up suffering. It was all about being successful. It was about being on top of the world. And that's not the way the body of Christ works. God uses suffering. He uses difficulty. And he turns it into fruitfulness and amazing beauty and amazing grace. But if, if you have to shove your suffering under the, the rug all the time in the body of Christ and be like, hey, <laughs> can't bring this up, then it, it, it tends to sour, right? It doesn't turn into something beautiful. It tends to something ugly and rotten. You might, I'll just be a transparent parent, right, for a second. Our youngest daughter, you know, it, it, once you get to number seven, you're kind of like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, <laughs> sometimes. And uh, so we want her to eat fruit for lunch. We can't get her to eat fruit for lunch, you know. One, we're not there when she's eating it. And, and uh, so we, she, she, she loves peanut butter sandwiches, so it's easy to give her peanut butter sandwich. Give her some fruit. We, we're like, hey, here's a whole apple. I, I don't like it. I want it cut up. We cut it up. Give it to her. She still doesn't eat it. Okay, I, I don't like it because it turns brown before lunch. Okay, we put lemon juice on it so it doesn't turn brown before lunch. She still doesn't eat it. We're like, hey, uh, you can't eat any, any of your snacks before you eat your fruit. She still doesn't eat it. You know what I mean? And you're like, okay, what's, you know, like, can we just eat some fruit here, right? But the problem is, is that fruit over time just rots if you don't eat it, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work. And within the body of Christ, we're, we're not called to be like, hey, I don't like the fruit. We're called to be like, hey, let's en enjoy what God is doing right now. Now, does that mean we enjoy everything about what God is doing? No, I mean, suffering is suffering. But what we enjoy is that there's grace in the midst of these things. There's grace involved in these things. And what it comes down to, in some ways, what he's saying here is, we should, within the body, we should honor what's happening. Like, like 
those of us who are suffering, those of us who are not suffering right now, we should be like, oh, it's, it's going to be awesome to see what God does through this. Let's, I, I want to be praying with you. I want to be watching with you to see what God does. I want to honor this, this time period in your life. And, and, we, and we go through the, the church body honoring and, and, and what God is doing in each one of us. Why? Because there's going to be fruit that comes. And frankly, the older you get, the more you prefer apples to peanut butter jelly sandwiches. You know what I mean? Somebody just said never. Okay. I get it. Peanut butter is good, right? But, but the point is, is that, that, that God brings things in that are worth participating in. They're worth enjoying, right? And, and what he's saying here is we should honor the different parts of the body, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. You know, this, this means overall that we, 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 value, we value generosity within the body. We value service within the body. We value suffering in the body. Why? Because we understand that God is doing something beyond what we are seeing. And that is grace. Tim Keller tells a story, or makes this point. He says, if you see a large sailboat moving out on the water swiftly... I love to watch sailboats. I don't know about you, but they're cool to watch. He says, if you see that, it is because the sailor is honoring the boat's design. She, if, if the pilot tries to take the, water into, the boat into water too shallow for it, the boat will be ruined, right? The sailor experiences the freedom of sailing only when she limits her boat to the proper depth of water and faces the wind at the proper angle. In the same way, human beings thrive in certain environments and break down in others. Unless you honor the given limits of your physical nature, you will never know the freedom of health. Unless you honor the given limits of human relationships, you will never know the freedom of love and social peace. If you actually lived any way you wanted, never aligning your choices with these physical and social realities, you would quickly die and die alone. You are then not free to do whatever you choose. You get the best freedoms only if you are willing to submit your choices to various realities, if you honor your own design. And isn't that the point within the body? Like, you're not everything to everyone, <laughs> and that's okay. The richness comes from saying within the family of God, well, <laughs> you're not Tad, but you're Zeke. That's awesome. I love to get to know Zeke. You're not Zeke, but you're Judd. That's awesome. I'd love to get to know Judd. Let's enjoy the richness together. And if we, if we insist that everyone fits into the same mold, then we miss out on what God is doing in the grace of the body. The story is told of a pediatrician tells the story of, on his wife. She was, he was sitting in on a class where she was teaching this concept uh, to some 10-year-old girls. And uh, there was a new girl in the class just moved into town. Um, she, uh, she was kind of highly energetic. You know how new, you know, kids in a new environment can be. She's trying to figure out what to do. And she's like, well, what am I supposed to do then? How am I supposed to work? You know, I don't feel like I can do anything. And uh, his, his wife, the teacher, was... Uh, um, uh, taken back by this. So, so she's like, well, and she glanced around and she saw some empty flower pots in the classroom. And she's like, well, you can fill the, the flower pot then. You can do that. And so actually it started every week. 
the, the little girl would come in and she would, um, she would, she brought some dirt and she brought a, uh, a dandelion, right? And she put a dandelion in the flower pot. And, and she would bring a new dandelion, uh, during the summer, she would bring a new dandelion every week. She would fill it up. And uh, it was, you know, a cute thing. And, and his wife told the pastor, and the pastor took the dandelion pot and brought it up in, you know, in front of the church and used it as an illustration. And it was, it was good uh, until, until the pediatrician, who was the pediatrician of this little girl, she was having some health issues. And, and uh, she came in, and they did some tests, and they figured out she had leukemia. And uh, she uh, got sicker and sicker and, and ultimately passed away. But the pastor at the end of the funeral was like, hey, he's like, hey, to the pediatrician, I want you to see this. And he brought, he brought the pediatrician over and he showed her this, uh, this piece of paper. And on the, the piece of paper, the little girl had written, thank you, God, for the flower pot. It's been the greatest honor of my life to fill the flower pot. That's what God gives us with grace, is it not? The honor to fill flower pots for others' good. It's not about us. We have the ultimate of gifts. We have heaven. We have eternal life. We have forgiveness of sin. We have the knowledge that God loves us. If that's true, then that grace just overflows, right? And it flows in ways that could just be flower pots, but it's an honor to fill flower pots, is it not? It's an honor to notice others filling flower pots. And then that would be my actually application is not so much like, okay, what flower pot should I fill? God will reveal that to you. His grace works. His Holy Spirit's operating in the body. Don't worry so much about that. You know what I would worry about or just focus on? Who are the people filling flower pots for you? Who are the people that you need to honor? Because they're doing things that maybe nobody's honoring. They're in the nursery watching your kids. They're, you know, sending out emails. They're on Wednesday nights planning activities. They're showing up and giving you a meal. Who, who are the people that you need to honor, that you need to notice? Why? Because if, and it's not an if of if he's working or not, it's since God is working in the body, you should notice it. If you're not noticing it, then you're not seeing his grace at work. God is at work in the body. The question is, are we honoring the body? <laughs> Do we honor what God is doing? The, the men and women who came this last weekend and cleaned the church, uh, or at least part of the church for us, right? Are we honoring those people? My advice to you is don't worry about what your gift is. Just notice people who are giving gifts to you and honor them. Would you do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that we have received. And we want to honor the body. We want to honor the grace that we have received. And it comes to us in a variety of ways, through a variety of people. And sometimes we do wonder, you know, how, has, how has God gifted me? What should I do? And that's an important question to ask. But you'll show it to us in your time and your way. Help us all to just practice the, the practice of honoring the different parts of the body that are blessing us because they do so much for us. There is so much grace that we receive. 
We thank you for that in your son's name. Amen.